We're in Parshas Bo, and it's in Shemot, Exodus. And we are actually going to start in chapter... Um, 11, I think. Let me see. Well, we'll quickly hit the, the, the two plagues at the beginning. And then we're going to get into the plague of darkness and the firstborn. Uh, some interesting stuff I wanted to bring out. Especially, there, there, I, I, one of the things that I like to do when studying a text is find the little phrases that you go, well, that's in there a couple of times, like in the last class. It, that phrase is in this text several times. Is there significance behind it? I always love sort of doing a little investigation on it. And uh, at some point later on, I think that Jackie and I were talking about doing another class on what we call f- forensic biblical studies, just how to, how to study and what materials to get to study by. So we'll, we'll have a class on that here very soon. Um, in this Parsha... Uh, I ran across the phrase that Moses left angry. Moses left angry. And I was like, well, I wonder what that, I mean, I know he's angry. He didn't seem to be prone to anger outbursts. So what what was he angry at? Was he angry just because Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go, et cetera, et cetera. And so we'll deal with that uh, as as sort of at toward the end of our of our. Sure, today. The eighth plague. What is the eighth plague? Locusts. And so there's this warning that goes out to him the, uh, the, that uh, the locusts would come and destroy uh, the barley and flax, which they, in essence, the people would starve to death. Um, in the middle of all of this, we've learned from the sages of blessed memory that says, uh, that this was Hashem's attempt to get Paro to do tshuva, to repent, or to do at least the right thing and let the people go and recognize that there is one God, there is a creator. It is during this time quickly that I think Pharaoh sort of shakes and at least admits that, that the God of their, uh, of, the, of the Jewish people, of the Israelite people, that he is the righteous one. He's actually addresses him as the righteous one, which is a huge, huge uh, level. looks like he's coming toward that pivotal moment. And that is going to give us a bit of insight on how and why Moshe responded the way he did. Um, God says to, to uh, Moshe, says to Pharaoh, uh, does someone say, he says to say this to, to Pharaoh, he says, does someone who invites a guest usually exert himself to assist him in every possible way? Yet after you invited the Jews as guests to your country, you you coaxed them into serving you and finally made them your slaves and oppressed them bitterly. I swear that you will taste the same bitterness of having the shameful change of your conduct toward all of Israel, the house of of Israel. Moshe and Aaron transmitted Hashem's message to Pharaoh. They warned him, thus saith Hashem, God of the Hebrews, if you still refuse to let my people go, I will bring locusts upon your uh, boundaries tomorrow. They will devour your wheat and spelt and there um, and were uh, 
that were spared by the hell. The locusts will fill your house, the houses of your servants, of all, the Egypt, all of Egypt. It will be a plague like of which has never experienced by your fathers. Have you guys seen the, any video of those locust swarms down in Africa? It's like they completely strip the land of anything. I mean, there's not even grass. I mean, they strip it clean. So Moshe delivers this message. Uh, he's hoping that Pharaoh would do tshuva and do the sensible thing. And it says that um, Moshe walks out. There's a phrase. You know, every other time it says he was led out. But this time he walks out. And when he walks out, uh, it seems that Moshe is going for some type of emotional effect. It says, according to uh, the sages of blessed memory, that when he walked out, he was attempting to get them to ponder this and not just give him a quick answer. He wanted them to really think about it for a little bit. It says that Pharaoh dispatched a messenger to bring Moshe and uh, Aaron back to the palace. He said to them, go serve your God. Who are the people who will go? Moses answered, we will go with our young and with our old and with our sons and with our daughters and with our sheep and our cattle just as all of us served you, so shall we serve Hashem. Only men offer sacrifices, objected Pharaoh. Pharaoh then says, just take the men. And what is his response? Of course, Moshe refuses to do that. Now, I've mentioned this in other lectures, and I will say it again for the sake of those who do not hear it. In many ways... The effect of the spiritual effect of Mitzrayim or Egypt, which is a narrowing place, right, in our life. Every one of us experience some level of Egypt in our life, right? We all have those things that want to restrict us and keep us from serving the Creator. It is the this what you see between Moshe and Pharaoh is like a negotiation in a big major business deal, right? Push a little this way, receive this, take this, give this, etc. And with, with Moses and the story of Pharaoh, it paints a picture about our own spiritual life. That when we're trying to get out of Mitzrayim, we're trying to get out of that place in which we can't serve Hashem, there, your Yetzirah starts negotiating, right? Well, commit only this. If you can just do that, but still serve me, I think that we could work out a deal. It could be amiable, right? And so Pharaoh says, first you take the, the men. Then he says, well, if you don't take the men, uh, you can take the men and the boys, leave the women and the children, right? There's this negotiation going, that's going back and forth. But one of the things that we find is you never will be able to completely remove yourself from your spiritual Egypt, Mitzrayim, unless you commit 100% to do what you're supposed to do. That is completely, everybody has to go, the whole family has to go. Not only the family, but your possessions. That means that for a person who is attempting to leave the, 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 the material world to, to, to elevate themselves to a higher level of spirituality, it takes cutting away everything, every influence that keeps you from serving Hashem. And this is that, that prime case that we see. This is it. what's going on right now. In fact, Pharaoh was corrected in predicting that he says something that, um, uh, let me go up and read up a little bit. This is what the sages say. For what purpose do you need your children 
You must be planning to escape. I cannot listen to you. Do not think that your plan to take the Jews to the wilderness will succeed. I am an expert astrologer. This is Pero saying, according to the Midrashim. He says, I see the star Ra hovering above the Jewish people in the desert. That star spells blood. You will all perish miserable in the wilderness. Remember when he tells them in the text, it says, you're going to go out there and you're going to kill your people. Now, what did he know and what was he predicting? Actually, he knew, according to the astrology, that this is, it means blood. He automatically translated this as being blood as what? Death. What he didn't know is that Moses was going to have them circumcised. The firstborn and all the males were going to be circumcised before after they got to the desert. So the amazing thing is, yes, it was going to be blood, but not the blood of death, but the blood of circumcision. It says, um, uh, let's see, Pharaoh uh, foresaw the fate of, of all of Israel would be according to the law of astrology, which are the laws of nature. In truth, Hashem elevated the destiny of all of Israel above the stars and led them through the deserts, desert with a miracle and through the Brits Brismila. Um, interesting, interesting thing. Let's see what else here. Um, uh, it says here that locusts are not ordinary insects. They're an army of wandering insects, miraculously equipped with special organs to wound and kill the Egyptians. They possess teeth like iron, horns like uh, uh, resembling those of an ox and claws like lions. These were like different than your regular locust. These were, this is a, like a, a, a poisonous flying insect. And so when it attacked Egypt, it was, it was absolutely devastating. Let's go to the ninth plague. The ninth plague is darkness. Now, it is interesting that this is what, Rosh Kodesh, right? It's the... Yes, Rosh Kodesh, right? For this night, redemption begins at midnight. Now, we know that, that the next day always starts when? At sundown. But in this case, God tells them this is what you need to do. He lets them know that when this darkness comes upon the earth, that it's, it's going to be so devastating that Egypt wouldn't even be able to see their hand in front of the face, no matter where they were at. The darkness did not come upon the Israelites. But this darkness sets forth um, sets forth the time in which redemption would come at midnight. And there's an interesting commentary on that, and I'll read it in a moment. Hashem made Moshe stretch out his hand towards the heaven and bring darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness so thick that it can be felt. Have you guys had been in darkness that was so thick it can be felt? Yeah, go go to uh, Canyon, Grand Canyon. I mean, not the Grand Canyon. The uh, yeah, Carlsbad. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's like it's it's almost deafening. You can almost hear. It's so dark you can almost hear it. Right? It's it's amazing. It says when Moses stretched out his hand, darkness enveloped the land of Egypt, remaining uh, of the six continuous days. This plague lasted only six days. Not seven like the previous one, since the seventh day of darkness was reserved for when the Egyptians would pursue uh, B'nai Israel, the house of Israel, to uh, the Red Sea. And Hashem would bring darkness upon them. It says, on the first three days, the Egyptians were able to move around freely in the dark. 
However, no matter how many candles and torches they lit, the darkness prevailed, which meant that as the days went on, the darkness became more oppressive. So by the time the sixth day come around, the darkness could not even be penetrated by the light, which is like something we can't even comprehend. That's some darkness. So we know that this darkness is more than just the moon hiding itself. There's something, or uh, the sun and the moon hiding itself. Um, it says that the house of Israel is able to see even in the midst of darkness, since every Jew was accompanied by a burst of light wherever they went. Um, basically, because they were goim, a light to the nations, they didn't experience the darkness. The warning about the tenth plague. Let's look at this for a moment. Since Moses had announced to Pharaoh that he would never return again, uh, return to him, Hashem appeared to Moshe before he left Pharaoh's palace and instructed him to warn Pharaoh about the last plague. This was the only time that Hashem actually appears or reveals himself to Moses in Pharaoh's house. Now we do know that this concept, and we talked about this in last year's Shur, that when God says, Bo, when he says, Bo, uh, Bo, meaning come to Pharaoh, meaning that God is going to be with him when he goes to Pharaoh. It's like God was always there, but God revealed himself to Pharaoh up to, to Moses in Pharaoh's home. And, and the reason why it says, in order to fulfill the promise that he would not return to see Pharaoh again. He didn't want him to have to go back and warn him about the 10th plague. He says, I will bring more plague upon Pharaoh. Hashem foretold to Moses, which will be the destructive, uh, as, as destructive as the other plagues put together. After this plague, he will not only allow uh, you to leave, but he will actually drive you from his country. Hashem describes uh, to Moshe the future plague wherein he would slay the firstborn, and Moshe uh, relayed his words to Pharaoh. Why the death of the firstborn? Do you remember this from the other day? Why the death of the firstborn? The firstborn? Yeah, the firstborn uh, was like a deity, correct. And that, that God said that Israel is my firstborn. And because you will not release my firstborn, I will destroy your firstborn. Do you see that? So that's a pretty pretty hefty uh, deal to think of. Now, let's for a moment talk about... Let me find the verse here real quick. Um, I'm looking for the... The text that is that says that um, Pharaoh, I mean that Moses left angry right after telling him about this. Hold on. The unleavened bread. We'll go through that in a moment. Eleven verse eight. Okay, yes, okay, here we go. Verse 8, so Moshe is, warns Pharaoh, and then he says, Then all the servants of yours will come down to me and request of me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who are with you. After that, I will get out. He, Pharaoh's, uh, he left Pharaoh's presence with great anger. What was Moses angry at? It's an interesting thing that I read that it made sense to me. One of the things that 
we all discover real quick is Torah becomes very logical when you study it. It's not out in the cosmos. It's very logical. It just makes sense. And when you hear the sages explain why, this makes sense. Now think about this for a moment. Moses was raised in this man's house. He knew his children. Moses knew his sons and, and daughters. He knew that his son is going to die. He knows that it's going to, this plague is going to get them released. But at the same time, he doesn't want to see such destruction come upon Pharaoh. There's a part of him in the same way that he didn't strike the water. Remember when it says to strike the water, he had Aaron do it instead of him. And the reason why is because the water protected him and carried him uh, during this time of danger. The same reason why he didn't uh, take and um, strike the soil to bring the lice, because it's the soil that buried the body of of the Egyptian that he had killed. Here Moses is hoping with all hope that Pharaoh would change, and he doesn't. And Moses walks out angry, not because he's angry because he's, I'm mad because Pharaoh's not letting my people go, because he knew it was going to happen. God told him, after this, it's going to happen. He's angry because he's seeing Pharaoh getting ready to destroy all of his people over his incalcitrant attitude toward the creator of the universe. Pharaoh's thinking that he is some level of a deity and still has control in this situation. And Moses is trying his very best to get Pharaoh to recognize this. When Moses leaves, he leaves angry at Pharaoh for bringing such destruction upon the Egyptian people. Not that they were righteous. Not that Pharaoh was actually deserving of it. But the fact that Pharaoh, no, no good righteous person, a Zadik, never wishes destruction upon another human being. The sages of blessed memory teach us that we are supposed to say a bracha when seeing a king or a ruler, a blessing. And that blessing is thanking Hashem that He has created offices within government and power to help bring order to all societies. Not only are we supposed to do that for uh, the you know a king of Israel, but we're supposed to do it for every king or ruler or president. To include an unrighteous president or ruler. Now, that's kind of hard, isn't it? The blessing, though, is not for him. The blessing is to Hashem that he has given an office that brings order to the world. As, as much as I don't like dictators, you and I have seen the result of removing dictators from, uh, from uh, Arab um, nations. The dictators actually kept the lid on the chaos it's seen. And as much as I don't like them, right, at some times you realize Hashem had Saddam Hussein in office keeping a lid on all of that. And it was at that time that if we only knew the chaos that we would unleash by removing him from office, we'd have probably helped keep him in office longer, right? It's, 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 it's an insanity. So, with that being said, it says that Moses left 
was very upset. He said, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not accept it from you in order that my words may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not send the Israelites from the land. So all the way up to this plague of darkness, and then we're going to get into this um, the part of the text in the closing that is uh, the instructions for the people. Um, yes. Was this Pharaoh like his adopted brother? It wasn't the oh. one that was when he was a child? I don't know. I, I don't know. So many years. Right. Well, it was very clear that Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, was not a firstborn son because he didn't die. So somewhere in this whole mix, he is not the firstborn son. So he probably had a brother that died young, died in his birth or something like that, and he he took the throne after that. So, and there's also some speculation that that Pharaoh, this Pharaoh was possibly not even a what I call a genetic uh, Egyptian king. That the Pharaoh that was here was the Pharaoh that came down from um, Syria, from one of the invading armies, and that there was a, a small a Hasmonean kingdom or something like that. So it's interesting. Uh, that documentary, by the way, is a really good documentary if you ever get a chance to watch it. Uh, we posted it up. Remember the name of it? Which is why they didn't know Joseph. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's why they didn't know Joseph. Um it says, uh, in the beginning of the month, this shall be the first beginning of the months, Rosh Kodesh. Speak with the entire community of Israel. This is in chapter 12, verse 3, coming up next. Speak to the entire community of Israel. Say, on the tenth of the month, each man should take a, a lamb from the father's house, a lamb to the house. If the th- household is too small to share a lamb, then let him include a neighbor who is near to his house, in the count uh, of persons, you should share the lamb according to each person uh, and can eat. And you shall have a lamb without blemish, male within the first year. You should take it from the sheep or the goats and you should keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the entire community of Israel should, should slaughter it at dusk. You should take some of the blood and place it on the doorpost and on the lintel on the house in which you eat. You shall eat the flesh that night you shall eat the roasted, uh, eat it roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw or also not cooked in any way with water, only roasted on fire, head, legs, entrails. That would be kind of disgusting. You should not leave any of it over until the morning and it was to be consumed uh, by, uh, by the, everybody by the morning. Let's deal with a couple of obvious things that, uh, that, I just want to get on, on, on video. There are those who, who uh, in Christianity, who use this text to say that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Okay? Um, obvious, obvious, it's obvious from the reading that that's not possible. First of all, the lamb, we all know what the lamb represented. It was a deity to the Egyptians. And the last... The last straw in the whole thing is not only the firstborn going to die, but the lamb, which is a deity, is going to be eaten by all the 
all the Israelites, and it's going to be done in a very public way. I mean, they're going to have this lamb, and it's, I mean, all the people are going to do it. The lamb is not only going to, not only going to be eaten, but it's going to be roasted, and every part of it's going to be roasted. I mean, it's like you, you are completely burning up the idol of the Egyptian gods. Yes, ma'am. This of the Egyptians. It was not for the forgiveness of sins. Right. Never been. Correct. Specific purpose. And the specific purpose is to save the firstborn. It says that Hashem, this is on one, one uh, the Arbano, uh, don't quote me on it, but it says that he, um, that Hashem himself actually came and went through uh, Egypt and destroyed them. And that the angels were were concerned, like, why aren't we doing this job? But only Hashem had the ability to discern who was firstborn. He he had that unique ability to do that. So it said that he did that. Um, the unleavened bread. Um, why unleavened bread? We remember. What? How long does it take? They say for bread to to become leavened, about eighteen minutes, right? So we're talking about a very short span of time. And we talk about the need for them to have urgency about what they're doing. This was about needing to be ready to go. Let me ask you, would it have mattered if they would have eaten, uh, made bread and let it rise and cook it normally? What's the difference in an hour or two in leaving Egypt? You're leaving Egypt. They didn't leave. They didn't leave the next morning. That right, exactly. So, one of the things that I saw that was very beautiful from from the midrash is that Hashem knew that they needed to get out because one second more in Egypt they would be trapped. They it was so urgent that there was such a small delineation between the Egyptians and the Israelites that lived there that if they stayed any longer they would become like Egyptians. And that is the reason why Hashem needed to come as well. Because only He could differentiate between those who needed to be redeemed and those who couldn't and wouldn't be redeemed. Uh, It says that the Mashiach, in the days when He arrives, that He will be able to look at an individual and know. It says like He will be able to smell a Zadik, right? He'll know. And he, He will not be looking for kipotes and stremels. And long black coats, he knows. He'll be able to see into the heart of a person and know if they are a, a, a good, righteous person. Which, thank God, you'll be able to know that you're not going to be judged falsely. But at the same time, if you put on an air, you're also going to be caught. You know, you'll be completely punked out by the whole thing. So, it says that they, they uh, had to uh, eat this unleavened bread with bitter herbs. We have all this reckoning to our, our Pesach. Uh, the Passover, and he says in verse 11, it is the Passover offering before the Lord. I will be revealed in the land of Egypt on this night. I will kill all the firstborn in the land, man, beast. I will execute judgment on all the what? Idols of the Egyptians. I am the Lord. The blood on the house in which you are uh, you are will be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be upon you to destroy you. 
when I kill the land of uh, kill in the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you as a memorial. You shall celebrate it as a festival before the Lord throughout your generations. And of course, to this day, it is um, it is reserved as a very special time Passover. Um, technically, a person that is not Jewish uh, cannot celebrate Passover as as the Jewish people do if they're not circumcised. If they, they can if they're a gear, uh, but there still is an issue of circumcision. So that's interesting thing. That concludes this sure. Any questions that you have or comments, now would be the time to present them.